Man, it's good to be in God's house with you today. Are you glad to be in God's house today? Amen. Come on. <laughs> Man, I'm excited to be back. As uh, many of you know, my family was on vacation last week. The week before that, we were at our uh, General Council of the Assemblies of God down in Orlando, Florida, and I sat right there uh, with my wife for several nights and let a preacher scream at me for an hour. It was awesome. So I'm sure you're equally as excited about being here today and hearing the Word of God, and, and I want to just jump right into it today. I'm sure like uh, my family, if you have students going back to school or maybe you're a teacher heading back to school, you've got a long list of school supplies that you're trying to get together, things you need to get prepared for. And uh, so I wanted to shorten that list a little bit for you. So we got a pencil for you to get you started. I, I don't know if that fits the requirements of what you need for the classroom, but I do hope it will serve as a good illustration for this message. So I want to encourage you to take that pencil out and just keep it there. Maybe you want to hold on to it as I get into the word today. If you don't have one, you can raise a hand. Our ushers will get one to you. Today, I want to share with you the parable of the pencil. And it goes something like this. Long, long ago in a faraway place, there was a pencil maker who lived deep in the woods, and he was crafting the pencils, and after he had finished making the pencil, he set it there upon his desk, and he told the pencil four things. He said, these four things you need to know, always remember them, and you will be the best pencil that you can be. So today, I want to tell you four things that are true about this pencil and that are also true about you and I today. Number one, if you're a note taker, here's what he told him. He said, your influence will be determined by whose hand you're in. Your influence will be determined by whose hand you're in. Like a pencil, you're an instrument. The Word of God says so much. Now, I know most people don't like being called a tool. <laughs> but your purpose is not you. Think about it. A pencil doesn't write its own story. A pencil is intended to write someone else's story. And now there are things in life that you're going to have to go after all by yourself, all for yourself. For example, your education. You've got to apply yourself. Retirement. No, nobody's doing that for you. You got to have some forethought. You got to have some drive. You got to prepare. But I'm talking about the bigger why behind those things. Why do I have to go to school? Well, because you need to. You need to study for the test. Well, why do I need to take the test? Because you need to get good grades. Well, why do I have to get good grades? Because you want to graduate and get a good job, so that you can make some money, so that you can marry the right girl so that you can have a family, so that you can, so that you can. And a lot of people, they spend their whole life pulling on that thread until they get to a place where all of life is unraveled on the floor in front of them, and they still don't know their purpose. And the reason people don't know is because they are trying to be the purpose. About 20 years or more ago, Rick Warren wrote a book called Purpose Driven Life. I'm sure many of you are among the over 60 million people who read that book, which is a testament to how well it was written, but it also is a testament to the fact that there's a whole lot of people that are asking the question, what's the purpose of my life? 
And I can't help but wonder how many of those millions of people were utterly disappointed when they opened the cover of the book and read the first sentence of Purpose Driven Life. And it literally says this, it's not about you. The definition of purpose is the reason for which something exists or is accomplished. So a purpose is a means to an end. So you don't understand what your purpose is until you realize what the end is you were designed for. I'll give you another example. I have a few tools at my house that are designed for digging holes. I have drill bits. I have shovels. But how many of you know it would be really hard to mount a TV on the wall with a shovel? It would be really hard to plant a tree with a drill bit. See, if, if, if you want to know what the purpose of a tool is, you have to know what it was designed to do. So you got to answer the question, do I want a hole in a board or do I want a hole in the ground? What am I trying to accomplish here? If you're going to fulfill purpose, it means you have to be willing to devote yourself to something that is bigger than yourself. And so the question that you have to ask is this, whose story am I writing? Whose story am I writing? Whose story am I trying to tell? And I love the way Hebrews 12.2 is written in the King James Bible because it says this about Jesus. It says, Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's his story. He's the writer. I love the way that Paul says it in Ephesians 2.10. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Jesus is the author of the story. God has prepared the work in advance for us to do. The Holy Spirit is leading and guiding us on the journey. So what's our part? Here's your part. Here's my part. We have to choose to be held. We have to remain in his hand. We have to make sure that every day we wake up and essentially our prayer is this, God, my plan's in your hands. My story for your glory. And you make up your mind every day to say, no matter what it looks like, no matter, matter what opportunity or opposition comes against me, I'm going to be held. I'm going to keep my life in his hands. Every time you pick up your pencil, this school year, I hope you remember, I'm in his hands. It's not my story. I'm in his hands. The second thing that the pencil maker told the pencil that day was this. You must be sharpened. You must be. You know, we don't like sharpening. Sharpening can hurt sometimes. Sharpening can be painful. I don't know if you ever had this dilemma as a student, but I had my favorite pencils. You know, when you go shopping for school supplies, and like you find the ones that have your favorite sports team on them or, or say something really funny, and, and then you get to school, and then you have this dilemma that you hadn't really thought about until this moment. Now I have to choose, do I want to keep this pencil and all the things that I love about it, or do I want to use this pencil? Because when you stick it in the sharpener, you start to realize, if I use it, I'm going to lose it. And we don't like the sharpening, but if your life is going to have purpose, if it's going to be effective, if it's going to have a point, it needs to be sharpened. And I'm going to just tell you three ways that we're sharpened. 
We're sharpened by our choices. We're sharpened by trials. And we're sharpened by the church. Our choices sharpen us. I think about John the Baptist in the New Testament. He was the first cousin of Jesus. And, and many of you will know the story. John was preaching up a fit out in the wilderness. People were getting saved. They were hiking for miles to come and be baptized by him in the Jordan River. And crowds were swarming to his ministry, but John understood his purpose. He was the forerunner of Jesus. The whole reason that he had a ministry was to point people to Jesus. And so the day came where Jesus started his ministry. And all of a sudden, people started leaving John and following Jesus. And when John's disciples saw the crowds leaving, they came to him and they said, John, what are you going to do? People are leaving our church and going across town. What what are you going to do? The crowds are leaving. And John, in that moment, had to make a choice. Am Am I going to choose in this moment to love the praise, to love the the accolades, to love the attention, or am I going to stay on mission? And John's choice sharpened him in that moment. In fact, in John chapter 30 or 3 and verse 30, here's what he said about Jesus. John said to his disciples, He must become greater. I must become less. See, every time that we choose God's glory over our selfish ambition, we're being sharpened by our choice. We're making a decision to not, to not just, just live in selfish ambition and to grow dull, but to say, no, 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 my life has a point and a purpose. I'm not going to grab the pen or the pencil and put it in my own hand. This is his story, his glory, and I'm going to make a choice. See, the Bible tells us in Proverbs that it's our choices that test us. Proverbs 27, verse 21 says, The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but people are tested by their praise. We're tested by our praise. As I I pray that God would continue to grow this church and that we would see many, many dozens of people get saved, I also pray, God, never give me a platform so big that my character can't stay on it. Because I understand I'm I'm tested by my praise. It, It can go to your head. John could have said, you know what, I really like having a crowd. I mean, I I know I started out trying to lead people to Jesus, but you know, I got a good thing going here. And he was tested by his praise. He had to choose, am I going to point people to Jesus or am I going to choose selfish ambition? Another way we're tested is through through trials, the things that we face, the stuff that we go through. In fact, in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter takes the same Old Testament imagery of how gold is refined in the fire and how all the impurities are burned away and then they all float to the top and they're, they're brushed away like dross, and then what you have left is something that remains pure. Peter used that imagery in 1 Peter 1, 7 to talk about our trials. He said, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So Peter's saying that the difficult situations that you face, they're actually coming to purify your life so that what remains brings more glory to God. He was saying what John said, anything of me that is not bringing glory to God, that needs to decrease. That, means, that needs to minimize. That needs to, that needs to go away so that 
Christ can be exalted in my life. In the Old Testament, God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 11.4, he said, here's what I've done. He said, I made Egypt an iron smelting furnace. So for 400 years, he put the the nation of Israel, in bondage, in captivity in Egypt. And he said, Egypt was an iron smelting furnace so that I could bring them back out and say, you are my people and I will be your God. Maybe you've experienced the sharpening of trials. I I like this verse in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 30. Not because it's comforting, but just because it's so accurate, I can't not like it. Here's what Solomon said, blows and wounds cleanse away evil, and beatings purge the inmost being. Maybe that didn't bless you the way it blessed me. See, I grew up in a house where my parents believed that scripture that says, spare the rod, spoil the child. So they didn't spare the rod, because they didn't want to spoil the child. So I've had my uh, my evil cleansed a few times. I've been purged a few times of my sins. Anybody had to learn a lesson in the school of hard knocks before? You know, you, you got some bumps and some bruises, and you, you've got some battle scars, but you got up a little wiser for it. You learned a little something from it. That's what this verse is essentially saying. The reality is every difficult experience that you and I deal with are going to leave us in one of two places. We're going to either be bitter or we're going to be better. It's going to just be determined by how we respond to the situation. And how you respond is going to determine how God can use that situation to sharpen you. Are you going to leave that experience with resentment? Or are you going to leave that experience with resolve? And this verse is just simply saying that sometimes God will use the trials. He'll use the difficulties. He'll use the painful situations in your life to sharpen you to refine you, to purify your life. That third way, though, that God wants to sharpen us is the church. He actually wants to use the church to sharpen your life. The the Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 17, I love this verse. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's a really encouraging verse, and it it sounds really encouraging when you read it until you actually think about the metaphor. And you realize the way iron sharpens iron is friction. Isn't it funny how we, we want God to sharpen us, but we, we want to run from friction. There's a lot of people that don't want to have good, close relationships and accountability with other Christians because it causes friction. When you, when you spend time with people that are striving to honor God in their life, in their conduct, in their speech, in their purity, and maybe you're not keeping pace, maybe you're not in the same stride, it feels uncomfortable, it causes friction. It's just easier to not walk with those people. It's easier to surround ourselves with a crowd that makes us feel good about ourselves. Even being in a service like this, you know, when you get in a spirit-filled worship experience, It can cause friction in your heart. And some of you, you felt it already today. As we're singing about giving everything we are and all we have to the one who is worthy, we experience what Isaiah felt. In Isaiah 6, the Bible says he got into the presence of God. And the moment he got in an atmosphere where Jesus was being glorified, the first thing Isaiah said is, Woe is me. 
I'm a man of unclean lips, and I'm, I live among unclean people. So I don't have to stand up here and browbeat you with a scripture. You just need to be in the presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit will convict you. But sometimes God does use the preacher. And when you sit and you listen to a, a, a word of God that's been preached and prepared, and God's word goes forth, sometimes it can, it can cause discomfort. I don't apologize for that. I feel called as your pastor to comfort the afflicted. But I also feel called to afflict the comfortable. It works both ways. And God will use things and people and circumstances to sharpen your life. But you must be sharpened. Don't avoid the sharpening. If, if, God, if God has you in a situation right now, you have to make choices. To, to take praise and, and to live for selfish ambition. Choose to be sharpened. The Bible says about Jesus in Philippians 2, 7, he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a servant. Even if it means sacrificing your reputation, make the choices. Make the choices. If you're going through trials today, can I encourage you to remember whose hand you're in. Remember, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, they were literally thrown into a fire, and yet they stayed the course. They didn't compromise. Why? Because they knew there was a fourth man in the flames. They knew Jesus was right there with them. They knew that they were going to come out purified, and he was going to come out glorified. And so they stayed the course. And let me encourage you to, to be committed to Christian community. Be a person that is plugged in and locked in to covenant relationships with the people of God, not just when it's convenient, dare I say, even if it causes friction, even if there's people that rub you the wrong way, know that God's using them to refine your life. I, 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 this isn't an original thought to me, but I just feel led to say it because I believe it's true. The Trojan horse of the church is spiritual immaturity. We don't grow because we don't have to. If I don't like it, I'll go somewhere else. I'll find somebody on YouTube that tells me what I want to hear. But iron sharpens iron when we stay connected. So the pencil maker said, your influence is determined by whose hand you're in. And there will be a sharpening. The third thing that he told him is this. What matters most is what's inside. What matters most is what's on the inside. Now, if you're shopping for school supplies, you're going to have a hard time convincing your kids that's true. Because what matters most is the name brand, the color, you know, how decorative the pencil is, what kind of troll doll eraser head it has. You know, I just dated myself. I don't even know if they do that anymore, but. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm getting some no's. Like, no, the troll dolls are out. But maybe you've had an experience like me a traumatic experience where you're in class and the teacher starts passing out the Scantron sheets with all the little multiple choice questions and then they say those words, those dreaded words, pull out your number two pencil. Number, number two, this is not a number two pencil. And so you start frantically digging for the number two pencil. All those cool pencils that have your favorite football team 
They, they get thrown aside. You're digging through the pencil box. Where is it at? Where is it at? I don't have a number two pencil. I got some cool pencils. I got some cool erasers. I don't have a number two pencil. And so then you start digging in your backpack, and you're digging in your desk, and it's test time until finally, way in the back corner of your desk is this little nubby yellow pencil its eraser is dry rotted from months of neglect and the wood is all chewed up and scarred from your teeth during the last test or worse you have to resign to borrowing a pencil from somebody else and that one's got chewed up dimple marks from their teeth from the last test but there it is it's number two And there's only one pencil that has just the right clay and graphite composite to make a mark dark enough on the paper that it'll be read by the computer, right? And what matters most when the test comes is what's inside. And that's true for you. It's true for me. That's why Solomon, the the wisest man who ever lived, Jesus said that about him. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, he said, above all else. Now, if the wisest guy in the world says above all else, you should probably listen closely to what he says next. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from it. You know what Solomon was saying? He was saying what matters most is what's inside. That's what matters the most about you. And can I just encourage somebody today, especially to the students that are here in this service today, remember that when you're tempted to make bad choices based on the outward approval of other people. Remember what God told Samuel about little David when his brothers overlooked him and his father disqualified him. God said, man looks on the outside, but God looks at the heart. Remember that what matters most is what's on the inside when you feel discouraged or ashamed because of rejection other people put on you or labels other people put on you based on what they see and on what they assume. Remember what matters most is on the inside when you feel tempted to cheat, to cut corners, just just so that you make the grade. Because I can tell you, integrity and character doesn't always show up on the progress report. And I'll even say to the teachers... Your assessments don't always reveal the character and the heart that you have. But remember, what matters most is what's on the inside. The pencil maker said, your influence is determined by whose hand you're in. There will be a sharpening. What's inside is what matters most. And then he turned the pencil over. And he said, lastly, you need to know this. Your mistakes are not permanent. Isn't that the best thing about using a pencil, right? I mean, it's why you grab the pencil and not a pen. Your mistakes are not permanent. You know that that I can can undo this if I don't get it right. Now, don't you wish life was that way? Like when you blew it, you could just, you know, delete the footage, you know, rewind the tape, just go back and, oh, that never happened. But how many of you know it's not that way? But you know, when it comes to our relationship with God from his perspective, it actually is that way. And the Bible word is justification. Justification. To be justified with God means that God sees you and declares you not guilty. I love the way Micah 7 verse 19 says it. 
about the Lord. It says, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. What an awesome picture that God would just throw our sins, our failures, our iniquities, our trespasses into the sea of forgetfulness. Somebody needs to write this down and remember it today. Your failure isn't final. I love the way Isaiah 43 says it. In verse 25, God says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I remember your sins no more. In other words, God forgives and forgets. Oh, how I wish we had that ability. We can forgive, but we got long memories. We don't have that ability to just forget the mistakes of the past, but here's where the enemy operates. Here's what he wants you to do. Because the reality is, see, you have made mistakes, I've made mistakes, and some of those mistakes, we're going to have to deal with the consequences. Maybe for the rest of your life. I mean, that's just the truth of it. For example, if, if, a, if a young person has premarital sex and, and gets pregnant, or a young man is, is a, a teen dad, the repercussions of those choices, they don't just go away. And so here's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants you to confuse consequences for sin with forgiveness of sin. The enemy wants you to doubt God's love. The enemy wants you to think as long as you're still dealing with the consequences of your actions, you haven't received forgiveness for those actions. But can I tell you, God, in his sight, wants to justify you today. He wants to take your sins and hurl them into the sea of forgetfulness. Wouldn't it be great if we could just alter our past? We can't. But you can put your past on the altar. You can bring it to God and you can say, God, I, I can't fix this. I can't change this, but I can lay it down at your feet. And as the worship team comes, I, I want to give you a picture out of Romans chapter 4 where Paul describes what this justification is. He says in Romans 4, 25, he, talking about Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sin. And he was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. I love this connection that he makes. He says, because of Jesus' death, our sins are forgiven. But because of Jesus' life, we're justified. See, there's a lot of people that you, you have accepted Jesus' forgiveness of your sins because he died for you on the cross. But you're not living in light of his resurrection. You're not walking justified. Like, thank God for forgiving me, but I'm just going to carry this bondage of, of, and this yoke of condemnation for the rest of my life because I blew it and I know it. But your failure isn't final. In the eyes of God, your mistakes are not permanent. And today, I just wanna, I wanna pray over somebody in this place that might just, maybe you have received forgiveness for your sins, but you're not, you're not living justified. Or maybe today you're here and you, you need God's forgiveness for your sins. I want you to know today your failure isn't final. 
that God in his grace wants to, from his perspective, erase every fault, every blemish, every mistake. I want to ask if you would stand with me all over this room as we prepare to go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to invite you to just bow your head with me in this moment. Can we just reverence the Lord right now? I I mean, really, just right now in this moment, would you just acknowledge the reality that God is in this place and that the God who created the heavens and the earth, He wants to speak with you. In this moment, we didn't just come to sing the songs and hear a message and receive a prayer. The God of heaven showed up today to commune with you. He wants to meet with you. If you're here today and you say, that's me, I I need God's grace, I need his forgiveness in my life. I want to ask you right now, would you just raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. I need God's grace. I need God's forgiveness. I need, I need to receive forgiveness. Thank you. So you can put your hand back down. I want to ask another question. Maybe you've received God's grace and, and you know you're saved and you know where you're going to spend an eternity, but God's plan of salvation was not just about heaven. God came to where you are so that you could live victoriously now. And you're not experiencing the justification of God. Maybe you're hearing this and you're the one that's carrying the baggage from yesterday's mistakes. The Word of God says in Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And today, it's not that you don't believe that Jesus died for your sins. You're just not living in light of the fact that He didn't stay dead. And so you need to receive justification right now. Grace to walk in victory as a champion for Christ as an overcomer. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I just need to receive the justification of God on my life. I don't want to live a life of regret. I don't want to live under a spirit of condemnation for the things that I can't undo about yesterday. Anyone else, I'm asking one more time. If that's you, say, I just need to receive the justification. I need to see myself the way God sees me. He sees you through the blood of Jesus today. Now I'm going to ask every person in this room, every person, if you would be willing, would you just stretch a hand toward heaven or maybe both hands just as a a sign of surrender to the Lord. God, right now I thank you that your spirit of grace is moving through the aisles. Lord, you're filling this place with your presence. Lord, because there's something that you want to say. There's something that you want to do and it's so much deeper than anything that I can touch. God, right now by your Holy Spirit, would you do a deep work in the lives of your people? God, thank you that grace is saving us right now. That Lord, you're justifying us. Lord, in the righteousness that we receive through Christ, you see us today as perfect, as spotless, as your bride. God, we thank you that right now, Lord, you're encouraging somebody who's been in the sharpener. God, somebody that's felt the grind, somebody that's been in a difficult season, a difficult situation, somebody today that's been avoiding the church and Christian community because of the friction that it, and the discomfort that it causes. Today, God, remind somebody that you're trying to refine a point and a purpose so that they can leave a mark on this earth for your glory. God, remind us today that it's your hand that holds us. And that according to your word in Colossians, you hold all things together. 
So, Lord, we don't have to be scared for the future. Lord, it's our plans in your hands. It's our story for your glory. Lord, we commit right now. God, be the author. Be the finisher of our faith. God, remind someone even now, it's what's inside them that matters. Lord, I rebuke in Jesus' name every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, every feeling of inferiority, every feeling of shame, every self-doubt, every self, self-loathing thought that comes from the pit of hell. Your word says we can bring every thought under the captivity of the Holy Spirit. We arrest those thoughts right now. Lord, and we claim our identity in Christ. I am a child of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I know it full well. God, I thank you today for your grace and that you can take a simple, a simple illustration like a pencil. And God, you can remind us all throughout this school year that you have a plan and a purpose for our lives. God, give us the grace and the power of the Spirit to live it out for your glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. Can we just give God praise for his word? He's speaking over us even now. Hallelujah.